Okay, good morning. All right, so, <clears throat> so this is a very personal sermon to me, and actually yesterday, the whole time I was preparing it, I was crying and crying and crying. Then this morning, while I was going over it, I was crying and crying and crying. Not the sad tears, the Holy Spirit tears, you know, just those tears that you feel like that emotion. So, and what's amazing is I preached this sermon, I taught this four and a half years ago. And I, have, I never go back and listen to myself, uh, ever. So <clears throat> God put it on my heart the other day to teach this. And I was really excited about it. And I hadn't, like I said, ever gone back and listened to it. And when I went back and listened to it, I was absolutely preaching to myself. And I, I mean, I'm like literally this sermon today, I am preaching to myself. It is just, it is such a word um, for me. And it blessed me so much. I hope it's going to bless you guys as much as it blessed me because it just helped me so much. Um, you guys know that I'm in a really unique season and this just was such a powerful word for me. So I'm, I'm going to talk on Lazarus. We probably mostly all of us know the story. Um, um, you know, so we all know that he dies and he's resurrected, you know, like that's the plot and the conclusion, you know, that's the whole, and <clears throat> So I just pray this. I just realized I didn't pray this, and I just want to pray, Father God, I pray, God, let this come alive to us, Jesus. Let this come alive to us. Lord, when we've heard something over and over again, it can um, become dull. I pray you sharpen this, and I pray that you bring it to life. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Okay, so I'm going to go through the story step by step. I'm kind of going to read through it because I just feel like the way the Bible puts it, I mean, how can I improve on that? So um, a man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sister Mary and Martha. This is a Mary who later, actually in the next chapter, so this is John 11, the whole story of Lazarus is in John 11. And those of you who know John was Jesus' very best friend. So this is the Mary who later, next chapter, poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and, and wiped it with his hair. There were two women who did this. She's one of two um, who did that. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to, to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend and the one you love is very sick. <clears throat> so, you know, you've got Lazarus fighting for his life. Um, it's very serious, but, you know, they are in pretty good shape, really, probably, because, you know, the one, the, first of all, Lazarus' name means the one God helps. So he was named for this moment. It's interesting because in the Bible, it constantly said that there was, um, there, there's, there's meaning in the meaning of our names. Back then, they named you according to what the word meant, what the name meant, and this meant the one that God helps. So from birth, God had planned this moment. I mean, that's pretty cool, right? That when he was born, he was, this was for this very moment. And sometimes we don't even realize that what we're born for is the crisis that we're in. You know, like that's what he was born for, is to this, this crisis and then this miracle. Um, but he's got a really big problem, but he's got really great connections. So, you know, we're, you know, kind of, uh, I, I don't think, I, I, I can imagine that they weren't, they were kind of confident that things are going to be okay, right? Because, you know, they've got this amazing, I mean, this is, Jesus is one of their very best friends. Um, and they have good reason to be confident that this is going to work out really well. Um, oh, my pages are sticky. 
But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. This is the scripture. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. And, of course, this is what you would expect his best friend to say. You would expect him to say, of course he's not going to die. You know, he has now, you know, resurrected people from the dead, and he has done all these things. And so, of course, he's going to say his best friend's not going to die. That's what we would expect him to say. So he's like, this isn't going to end in death. All this totally makes sense so far. And then this is when the story kind of goes askew because he says, you know, this isn't going to end in death. And then it says, so Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, so he stayed where he was for the next two days. Now, that's the confusing point. point. It says, because he loved, so he stayed. He, he loved them, so he stayed where he was. He didn't come. And, you know, this is mind-boggling to me. Um, we know, so, so we know that Jesus, like a lot of us, um, our friends are our family. My friends are my family. My, my friends are more family to me than most of my DNA. And we know that, that you know, when, when there's a problem, we show up. You know, when I was studying this, I was remembering uh, one of my very best friends, Kat, uh, when Reagan was just born, I had, Dave and I had been in Bermuda, and it's the first time I'd really left Reagan. And we had gone to Bermuda, and we, that was back when cell phones didn't work internationally. And I landed, and when I landed, I got word that Kat's mom had had a stroke. Now, and a debilitating stroke, and was in Boston. Now, Kat hated her mom, truly. This woman had tortured her. It was a terrible situation. It had been a terrible situation for her whole life. It was, so this is not like this great mom that, but guess what? I landed, I ran home, you know, packed for wintertime because she was in Boston, you know, unpacked Bermuda clothes, packed winter clothes. I went right back to the airport. I had a newborn baby that, you know, my mom was like, you can't leave Reagan. I said, I have to show up for Kat. And that's even, that's not even Kat, that's her mom. And that's somebody that, wasn't even like a good mom, but you just show up for your friends in these, in, you know, crisis. And I know I'm less of a good friend than Jesus would be, right? This is Jesus's best friend. And this is his friend who's sick, not even the friend's mom that he doesn't like, right? So, I mean, you know, so you've got this, which by the way, God did an extraordinary redemption story through that whole thing, an amazing, miraculous story through that whole thing. So there's a story to that, but I won't, I won't go off on a rabbit trail. But, you know, you've got like this best friend, who's not showing up. And, you know, we expect, we expect the people who really love us to be there. You know, we expect, when we are in a crisis, we have a healthy and appropriate expectation. We also have a healthy and appropriate expectation that those we've poured into a lot show up. You know, like when, when your, your children are grown, you expect them to show up for you because you've poured into them your whole life. When, well, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, have expectation on both ends because not only, you know, so many people in Jesus' life were takers, but Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are givers. Every time Jesus is in town, they host him and his entire posse. Jesus never traveled alone, not because he didn't want to. He was always trying to escape the crowds, but they followed him everywhere. And every time he came into town, they made elaborate dinners, they threw big parties, and they were at his table constantly. They poured out for him. They weren't just takers. They had given 
They knew he loved them. You know, that's how Martha phrases this thing, the one you love, your very best friend, you know, that you, you uh, by the way, while you're out there ministering to all these strangers who barely know you, the one who actually loves you needs you. I mean, that's how she phrases it, right, in a really nice way. And, and, and so this whole, the, whole, um, the whole part of this is just kind of a strange, you know, it, it doesn't make sense, right? It really doesn't make sense. And as far as we know, the Bible seems as if Jesus doesn't even respond to her message. He doesn't even respond back. He doesn't give a comforting word. He, doesn't, he ignores her. There's no response to her. They just, he just gets the message, and, and I, I know that all of us have had moments when we have been in real pain, and we've reached out to somebody we love that we expect to be there for us, and they don't even respond. Have you ever had a non-response to your pain? That makes whatever pain you're feeling 100 times worse. So, like, this whole thing doesn't make sense. It's, it's almost cruel that here he, you know, he, he – you know, doesn't show up, and then he doesn't even respond. It's like hitting the ignore on the text. You know, you're just like you're ignoring me. You're blowing me off. I mean, this whole thing is strange. And his disciples don't really say anything about it. Like, I think everybody's kind of like, what's going on here? And for several days, um, he just kind of ignores it. And, and there's, a, there's a magnitude to the situation that not only is Lazarus the brother that these sisters love, and they all live together. We know they all lived in the same home. There was not a mother or father. And so we know all this, but they were, back then, women could not provide for themselves. So he was their provision. He was their financial stability. You know, they're losing a person they love, and many of us have been in this position where we're not only losing somebody we love, and that is dying, whether it's physically or spiritually or uh, emotionally or, you know, but that relationship is dying. But not only is that dying, but also he represents their way to feed themselves, clothe themselves, have shelter. So now their whole entire stability is being destroyed. So it's like this is urgent on so many levels to all three of them. And yet, nothing, cricket. Um, you know, it... it um, it, you know, we've all, I, I, I think of so many SOS prayers that I've sent up, and I have felt this. I relate to this story. We have all had times where we have prayed about a genuine, urgent need, and it's just crickets. You just are like, you're not responding. You're not, you know. So, and here's the interesting thing. It says, um, you know, Lazarus was sick. It doesn't say, but he stayed because he had to stay because of something he had to do. You know, the, 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 the language, if you really look at it and study it, is so powerful because it says, he loved them so he stayed. He loved so he stayed. I mean, I don't know. That just hit me so, it hit me so much more this time. It didn't hit me like that the first time. It hit me like this this time because of where I am when I'm teaching it this time. Interestingly, four and a half years ago, I was coming out of a very difficult season, you know, with my marriage, which is what changed this, my entire life. Now I'm back in it, you know. I'm back in it, not with my marriage, but with a whole bunch of other things, you know, health and, all, you know, a whole laundry list of things. 
Um, and I was like, he didn't come. Um, I wrote down, he loved them so he did not come when they wanted him to come. He did that because he loved them. He didn't come when they wanted him to. He did not help when they needed him most. He did not heal and make the one he loved better because of how much he loved them. You know, there's so, you guys know, I mean, I've been crying out for Dave's healing. We had a couple, I, we thought we had got better, then we didn't, then we've had setbacks. We've been on this roller coaster the last couple of weeks. And I was like, he didn't heal because he loved them. That really hit me this time. You know, sometimes he doesn't heal our situation because he loves us. You know, there's a reason for the delay. Um, you know, I realized we equate God's love with comfort. You know, we have love languages. We all do. And some of us speak the same love language. Um, uh, Kat, who I was talking about earlier, the two of us speak love languages to each other through gifts. We have the same love language. So every time she comes, we give gifts to each other. That's just the way we have these fun little things that we, you know, and that's sometimes you had different love languages than other people. And that's a tough miss, right? When you're married to somebody, you don't have the same love language, right? So we know how important love languages are there. You know, they've done research with five different love languages. You guys probably know about that. But when I think about it, I think our love language from God to us is we think if he loves us, then there's comfort. He he makes things comfortable. And, you know, I was thinking about it, and I'm like, I'm, I'm pretty sure that if we are equating God's love to the discomfort or comfort of our current situation, first of all, we'll be looking for love in all the wrong places. Second of all, we will completely miss the truth about his love for us. You know, it's a, um, it's a wicked rabbit trail, and I, I've lived it at one point. I, I lived, um, and I want to read what I wrote because, because I really gave thought to it. There was a time in my life that I genuinely believed that I could control the outcomes of my life with good behavior. God bless you, honey. The belief went something like this. If I pray this and then do this, then I can expect this outcome. If I pray this way and do this thing and act this way, then I can expect this, you know, A plus B equals C. And this Lazarus situation, we all have Lazarus situations in our life when we at some point find out that a lot of times that is true. You know, there is blessing and reward with following God, with praying, with walking in his ways, with obeying his ways, there's blessing. But there are always Lazarus situations that all of a sudden shake that. And that's what happened to me in my marriage. You know, I was like, okay, I was a good girl. I followed the rules. I did this. I did that. And then I got into this marriage, and <clears throat> it broke my heart. And I was like, God, you failed me. You know, God, I prayed to you. I, and all of a sudden, my face was shaking, and I'm like, you, God, did not keep your end of the bargain. Because I, I had this belief system that this is the way it worked. And then things didn't go that way. And, by the way, things still aren't going that way, just a whole different set of scenarios. So, <clears throat> but I've learned, because that time, I turned my back on God. And for three years, I was just like, I don't trust him. I do not trust him, because I thought that this is how things work. And I have learned that that is not true. You have to, you know, trusting him. So I want to write what I wrote. Okay. 
I found out that faith is actually not a way that we can control our outcomes and get God to follow our plan, but is actually trust in the midst of the mystery. We can find out that God's love language is trust and faith. What I found out in that difficult season, in my previous difficult season, is that God's love language from us to him is trust. It's faith. That's what he taught me over and over. That's why I preach on faith so much, teach on faith so much. So I found out back then that, that the love language that he speaks to us is trust. Trust in the mystery. Now listen, God turned that horrible situation into the greatest blessing of my entire life. The greatest blessing. He was faithful. But I had to learn a lesson about trust about trusting in the mystery and sometimes trusting for a long time. Um, so faith says God can do anything. But in that very same breath, God is not doing something for you or for me that we see in his word he has done for others or we see in this world that he has done for others. Everyone, and here's the thing, I have now done ministry for about 10 years. And I have learned, I have talked to way too many women, every person has a Lazarus. Every person has a Lazarus. Every person has something that God has not done yet, where it is a mystery, you know. And and if God really loves you, why hasn't he done it yet? If God really heard you and saw you, why hasn't this thing changed? Um. And this is the Lazarus situation or the Lazarus factor. Um, we have faith that God is able, but why hasn't he done it for us? We have faith that he is able, but we are starting to lose trust that he loves us if he isn't coming. That translates to us lack of love, right? Why isn't he answering? He is leaving me hanging while things are getting worse. And in my situation, Every time I've been in this situation, things, the more I pray, the more they get progressively worse. I mean, that is exactly where I am in my life right now. So I am totally speaking to my own personal situation at this time. And if that's not your season now, it will, will eventually be your season because it always, it ebbs, life ebbs and flows this way. If we equate God's love with our, oh, I already said this, out, out of context, I guess. But if we equate God's love with our current circumstances, we'll be looking for love in all the wrong places. Trusting God is being confident of his love when he makes us wait, when he doesn't even respond to our message. He didn't come because he loved them. You know, and what we're asking for so often is a really good thing, like what they were asking for. They're asking for Lazarus, to, his life to be saved. Why aren't you here? Why are you staying where you are? You know, it's like, hey, Jesus, Lazarus is sick, right? Hey, Jesus, the one you love is sick. I mean, that's what I'm saying. You know, it, the Bible is full of women interceding for their men. That's the same then as it is now. I'm still interceding for my man. It's just I'm trying to save his physical life. I'm saying now, hey, Jesus, the one you love is sick. You know, hey, Jesus, I'm depressed. And I can't get out of it. Hey, Jesus, I am so lonely. Hey, Jesus, I don't feel like I can even breathe right now. Hey, Jesus, you even 
see or hear the way these people are treating me? Do you see what's happening with my children? Do you see what's happening with my finances? Do you see, hey, Jesus, right? We have so many, we have so many situations that fill this Lazarus moment. Jesus, I am in serious trouble, and it's real. This isn't me being hyperbolic, right? You know, this was life and death. Hey, Jesus, could you please stop, help, help my husband to stop being so crazy? I remember praying that one repeatedly. Nothing, right? Psalm 5015 says, call on me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you will honor me. Now, Mary and Martha would have known that verse because that is Old Testament, and King David said that, and God did deliver him, right? So this is something they would have known. And they had to be thinking, you know, when Jesus never showed up and never even responded, they had to be thinking, hey, uh, you sure knew how to find my house when I was cooking for you, when I was entertaining for you, when I was doing elaborate dinner parties for you, when, when, you know, and now I am in the struggle of my life, fighting for life and death. You know, I, 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 I relate to this because I know the heart of, hey, Jesus, I've done stuff for you. They've done stuff for him. So many people didn't. But I have been there. Hey, Jesus, I've done stuff for you. I kind of feel like I have the right to pull the BFF card, right? That's what they, they're like, I kind of feel like, you know, we, you kind of owe me a little bit. Um, you know, God, I show up at church. I'm a good person. I'm kind. I treat people right. I, you know, whatever it is, fill in the blank, right? I have served you, and you're not even responding to me. Where the heck are you? I have a right to ask, you know, why are you blowing me off? So Jesus says, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. Finally, and this is interesting, the verse says, finally. I mean, I think even the author, John, is saying, finally. He was there for this. He's like, this was weird. This went on for days. He didn't even say anything. He gets the news that Lazarus is dying. And then he doesn't even say anything. So he says, finally, there's that pause. It's, there's tension. Everybody's uncomfortable with the way Jesus is handling this thing. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his, his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he will soon get better. I think that's hilarious. Okay, Jesus is the healer. He goes around healing people all the time. And now they're advising him on how to best help Lazarus heal. I feel like that's like I do that all the time. I'm always telling Jesus how best to, to heal my situation. God, if you could just do this for Dave, for Reagan, for my friend, for my, you know, whatever it is. God, this is how I think we should handle the situation. You know, so then he says, um, they thought, the scripture says again, they thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Jesus is never a one that mints words. You know, he's dead. Um, I'm like, they had to be going, what the heck? Two days ago when you got this word, 
So back in verse 4, now we're in verse 14, 10 verses ago, two days ago, you said this will not end in death. Are you, this whole thing is like, are you crazy? Like, what are you doing? I mean, really, if we can make this, if we can make this not sterile and live the moment, can you imagine? I'm like, you said this wouldn't end in death. Now you're saying Lazarus is dead. You didn't even show up. Like, what is up with him, you know? Um, and that's because they think it's the end of the situation. But it's not the end. It's the whole, it's absolutely the middle. He said, what's the middle? It's the middle. And, and, but how could something be the middle when there's a death? Now, I remember feeling this exact way about my marriage. I remember thinking, this is dead. It's as dead as it could be. We have ruined it. I mean, we have ruined it. This is, this is not a marriage that should have survived. And we certainly should not be crazy and love and happy the way we are now. There's no way. We, I mean, on anybody's, there's nobody, there is nobody in the entire world that would have ever thought that this marriage was not completely dead. There's not a person, there's not one person in my life who was like, well, maybe there's hope. Or maybe, everybody was like, this thing, you got to get out, you got to move on. This, this could never survive this. This could never be okay. This could never. So it was dead. And this man is dead. And death is the end. There, it was something dead, it's dead, it's dead, right? So how can this be the middle? Because he said, very plainly, it would not end in death, and death is the end. And when we see that something's dead, and for a lot of us, it's relational. But it could be a lot of things. There could be a lot of things. that Maybe a job is dead to us or something we really care about. But whatever it is, it seems like it's dead, and it's really the middle. So he said it wouldn't end, but it seems like it's the end. But it's not the end at all. It's the middle of the story. Um, how could they or how could we, how could I have back then or in my moment I'm in right now, there's so many factors that I haven't even elaborated on. So, there is a living pressure cooker in every single way I maneuver in my life right now. And how could they, how could I in this moment ever fathom the extraordinary way that God is going to work this for good. I think of this, I think of back then, I had ruined myself, my life, my husband, had been, we, had, we had wrecked it. Now, I could have never guessed that I was about to have a spiritual resurrection that would then eventually lead to a marital resurrection and a resurrection of an entire ministry and all the people in my life. Can I tell you the people who knew me back then, not one person is the same. All of their souls and minds have been resurrected because my change was so drastic. I couldn't have imagined that that pain was so that there'd be a resurrection, a, a huge life-altering resurrection for not just me, but I don't even know how many people are going to be affected by that. But they couldn't fathom that this, the extraordinary means by which, which God is going to resurrect a broken and dead situation. The, uh, the middle always seems so bleak and so awful and so hopeless. Uh, you know, yesterday I, was, I had a tough day because you guys know I flew this pastor in to pray over Dave. And he prayed over Dave. And for five days, Dave had an extreme altering change. Um, and he, he was on like 11 medications. He got off of all of them but two. And he was, we were scheduled to go see a doctor to find out about getting off those two. 
And uh, on Friday, we got some really bad news about some other things. And it set him off, and he just spiraled, spiraled, spiraled back down. So we, we have, you guys know we have just not done anything. Our life is just shut down. But we had a very dear friend who had a birthday, and so we had a birthday dinner party here for her. And he couldn't make it. He could, he could only make, I, I, he only could make it through the appetizers. He went to bed. He couldn't make it. He couldn't sit through. He was back to just being flattened. And I'm like, I thought I got a miracle. And I felt crushed. So then yesterday, I had made, three months ago, I made an appointment with an endocrinologist who's top in the field for what he needs. And so I'm like, okay, well, that's just not the way God's going to do it. We finally have this appointment. We got up early yesterday. It's in, um, it's at Duke. And we were driving there. And can I tell you, we get halfway there and they call, she's got the flu. Sorry. Oh, and by the way, it'll be, you know, another, at least another month. And, you know, meanwhile, he went to the doctor the day before and the inflammation in his body has gotten so bad that it's now greatly affecting his eyesight. So he's got inflammation all the way in his eyes, inflammation everywhere. So I, by yesterday, I was just like, Lord, the, love, the one you love is sick. You know, you gave him to me twice. And can I tell you, uh, for years, and this is part of why we crashed back then, is I got, Satan has given me visions over and over and over again of his death. And I'm like, God, you gave him to me twice. And this is like, the, this is my world, you know? And at one point I asked you to please take him out of my world and you gave him back in such a miraculous way and he is my world. And I have to keep fighting those visions with visions of life, of, of him, you know, healthy again and full of life and full of, and I have to keep, I keep saying, no, that's not, no. I, I don't believe these visions. I don't believe that this is how this thing ends. I don't believe this ends in death. But, you know, the point is it, it's a fight, to not believe that it ends, that things in our life, whether it's the relationship or the health or the whatever. I, I mean, I would think, Mylene, that these are some things that you struggle with with your son, right? His future, if you think, if you're not here, if you're, you know, how is God going to take care of this? How is God going to take care of the people we love? How is he going to make this good? You know, and how do you have that trust in the waiting, in the things you just can't, there's no... So God says here, Jesus says here, that we're in the middle. We are in the middle of how God's going to work all this for good because he's promised to work it all for good. So it says, and for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now, you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. And I thought to myself, it's so true. I saw so many miracles at my last time I was in this situation it really did make, the miracles made me believe. I've seen so many true miracles, so many. You see a miracle of God, you cannot doubt. So, you know, I, he says, now this miracle is going to help your faith. It's going to help you really believe. So, I, I think, so it says, um, you know, the, the disciples doubted him. And, you know, I think that there's this tug that even the people who walked with Jesus had, and, and we have because, you know, the, the disciples couldn't understand suffering when they also constantly saw Jesus' power. You know, when you see, and, and like I said, I've seen so many true miracles that are 
through the Holy Spirit, through prayer, undeniable. So when you see that power, you can't understand why the devil, suffering would ever be allowed because you know he has the power to change it. Um, and so these, these two things seem to contradict each other, right? Um, oh, I forgot to unplug the ring. Sorry. Um, but if Jesus didn't allow the suffering, then they never could have seen the power. And you think about it, he didn't even stop his own suffering at the cross. He didn't even stop his own suffering. If he didn't allow his own suffering, oh, gosh, I didn't even lock the dogs up, did I? Did we lock the dogs up? Oh, you did? Oh, thank you. Well, you don't have to get it, Iris. Don't risk the delivery. I'm having a million things delivered right now, all for the business. Thank you, though, sweetie. Um, okay, so anyway, um, if Jesus didn't allow his own suffering, then we wouldn't have the power we have today. He didn't even stop his own suffering. He can't. He, he, you, you, the process is necessary. It's interesting because Fanny was just studying suffering in BSF, and it was part of the BSF thing. Um, then it's interesting. So then Thomas, uh, which you guys know, Doubting Thomas, right? You guys remember him? So here's Doubting Thomas again. And there's always negative people. He says uh, to his disciples, let's go to and die with Jesus. He's like such an Eeyore. There's always a negative person in our life. There's always that person that's like, it's the end of the world as we know it. You know, it's all, there's always a naysayer. Always. You know, so anyway, but you know what I thought? I had to give Thomas a little credit because I'm like, you know, he always, the glass was always half empty with Thomas, always. But he still went. He was sure it was, it was just the worst possible thing that was going to happen. He was about to die. But he still showed up, you know. you got to appreciate that, you know, poor Thomas credit. He always gets a lot of slack. So anyway, but I was like, he still went, even though he was sure he was going to die. Um, anyway, so it says, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. Okay, this is crazy. Scholars say... I mean, they don't, they don't even have to say. They know the exact location. Between Bethany and Jerusalem was two miles. Even if you're a slow walker at a 15 or 20-minute mile, that's a 30 or 40-minute walk. He was only 30 or 40 minutes away. And basically, all these people, it just said all their other friends came to console. Did you hear that when I read that? All these other people had come there to console them except for Jesus. Their house is full of all the people who made the 30 or 40-minute walk except for the one who could save them. And, you know, this is a really interesting um, dynamic because when we are in these situations, our friends, thank God they show up because they should, right? We all owe that to each other. We should show up for each other. But all they can do is console them. So many times when we are in these situations, they can't do anything to make this better. They can't fix this they can't and it's really easy when we're in these bad times to make our, our friends kind of our idols to look to them to make to be our savior to look to them to fix it to look to them we our friends can really really this is something i have struggled with because i am a lover i, I love people and so the flip side of that whatever your strength is it's always your weakness we all know that about our personalities so the flip side, the bad side of my personality is I can, people can become my idol. I can expect them to love me back the way they love me, which is an okay expectation. But that, that 
people can only do so much. And it's really important in these moments, like, God love them for all showing up, but, you know, I, you know, it's interesting because I, uh, I have just, through these, this difficult time, you know, it's amazing. I'm so grateful. I have friends who just love me so much. They just, you know, they kind of cry for me. I'm not crying, but they're crying. You know, they're just like, it hurts to see all the pile on this pressure cooker. And I'm so touched, you know, but at the end, I'm like, I need Jesus. I ain't nothing anybody can do. I need Jesus. I need the Savior. I need the light. I need the power. I need the glory. I need the instilling. I need the strength. No person can give you strength. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. And as a second I look to a friend, and you know what, you know what God has done? Every time I've looked to a friend, they have disappointed me. Anytime I get that a little bit flipped, God makes sure I don't let that become an idol, and I get disappointed. Guess what? They do hit the ignore button. They don't call back. They don't check on me. They don't, the things that I'm wanting them to do to make me feel better, they don't do. And listen, shame on them. They should. You know what I mean? Like, shame on us. We should do those things. But the point is, he makes sure I keep things in context. You know? They are a gift. People are a gift from God. We are supposed to be in community. But, man, we've got to keep them in their rightful place. So then... Next scripture says, when Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. I love that Martha went to meet him. She ran to him. You know how disappointed and hurt she is. You know how disappointed and hurt she is. But she ran to him. And she said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would have not have died. I think it's incredible. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus, she's saying, you didn't do what I wanted you to do or even respond to my cry for help, but you are still Lord. She still calls him Lord. She's still respectful. You know, in in church today, you hear a lot of people talking about being angry with God and how it's okay to be angry and go ahead and be angry and that's just being authentic. I just fully disagree with that. I fully disagree with that. I fully believe that we are to say, I respect you, I honor you, I hate this, this hurts, but I, you are God and I am not, and I honor you, and you are Lord, and, and God, Jesus, I kind of expected more from you, I kind of expected you to show up, I kind of expected you to answer my prayer by now, I kind of expected you you really hurt me. This really hurt me. But even now I trust you. You are still my Lord. You know, I wrote out a bunch of scenarios. Um, if you had come when I first called, he wouldn't have died, right? That's what she's saying. If you had just come when I called, this thing would have never died in my life, whatever it is in our life. If you had just come to help me in my marriage when I first called, because when I started the calling on you, it was just sick. But now time has gone on, and now it's dead. They called on him when it was sick. I called on God for my marriage on my honeymoon. I knew on my honeymoon I was in trouble. When I first called, it was sick, but by the time he showed up, it was dead. Um, if you'd only come to help my kids when I called, I called you when I started seeing them getting off track, but you didn't come, and now my kids are so far off track that they're so far behind you know, and especially adult kids, it's like, how will they ever catch up? 
How will they ever be okay? I called you when I first saw it, but you didn't come. And now it's so far gone. I called you when the layoffs started, but now I've lost my job. I called you then, and it just got worse. And where were you? And then you think it's even more painful, you know, you could have come, and I found out you just on purpose did it. If you had come, if you had prevented this, if someone else would have raised me, these are things we could say, if they wouldn't have abused me, if you would have stopped it. You know, I deal with so many women who were abused, you know, if, if, if. But Martha said, Lord, even now. And I just feel like that's like so important. Even now, even now you are sovereign. Even now you are power. Even now you are truth. Even now you are my hope. Even now I believe in miracles. Even now you are good and even now you are working. And, and I keep telling myself, and even now he's showing up. Can't see it, but he is. Even now I know God will give you whatever you ask is what she said. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. And, you know, sometimes, it's easy, sometimes we're so kind of beat down that we get this, like, eternal perspective, like, you know, kind of like, swing low, sweet chariot. You know, like that whole, like, oh, I'm just going to live for the sweet by and by. You know, like, it's all is lost now, but, you know, in eternity I can finally be happy you know, someday far, far, far away. And God's like, no, no, I am still the answer for now. We can never give our hope for the miracle now. You know, we can't get so spiritually minded and eternally minded that we think, okay, well, I'm just resigned to this thing. This is just, you know, so, he, so she's like, um, you know, I, she basically is saying, well, I'm resigned to my fate. I'm resigned to this fate. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. He's like, I am life. I am life now. I can recover this dead thing that nothing in the world could ever recover. You know, 1 John 10.10 says he died to give us abundant life. He means for us to have abundance. Um, (coughs) Sorry. He's like, I am breathing life into this right now. You can't tell it. You don't know it. You think you're at the end. You're at the middle. Wait, do you see what I do with this death? Um, Romans 4.17 says the God who gives life to the dead and brings back the dead to life and creates new things out of nothing. I love that part. He creates things out of absolutely nothing. I feel so often like what I have to offer offer him is absolutely nothing. And he creates glorious things out of absolutely nothing. He doesn't need anything from us (coughs) except for trust. He cannot do it without trust. She showed him that she had trust before he did the miracle. <clears throat> he said, anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? And he's asking us, do you believe this? Do you believe this? She said, yes, Lord. I, I mean, I love Martha. I love this woman. Yes, Lord. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. God bless her. She does not relinquish her belief because of her pain and her disappointment in him. Um, You know, 
And here we are. God's like, do you believe? Do you believe right now? With your own personal Lazarus, do you believe? You know, and he's asking me that right now. And I'm like, yes, God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I believe with every fiber of my being. Sure wish you had shown up. Sure wish you would show up. Sure hope you show up soon. You know, waiting. You know, but believing that this thing is going to be amazing on the other side. You know, even though he died, you are God. Even though this thing fell apart, even though, even though, even though I believe. So then she turned, then she turned to Mary. Martha goes back to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher, the mourners, all the other people who showed up from that town, except for Jesus, uh, the teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Obviously, they said this over and over to each other, right? They say the exact same words. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up in him. That's interesting. I'm going to talk about that emotion. He had a lot of emotion over this. He has a lot of emotion over the stuff we're feeling. He's not hardened to it. He's not cold to it. He's not so up there that he doesn't feel what we're feeling. So a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. This is interesting because he knows he's going to turn this whole thing around for good. Where have you put him, he asked them. They told him, come with us, Lord, and then Jesus wept. He weeps, and he, and as far as I can remember, it's the only time he wept in all of Scripture. He, he knows he's going to work it out for good. Why is he weeping, and why is he angry? Why is he so emotional over this whole thing? He knows it all works out. You know, I, I just, I am touched by this, because when we are in pain, it's not like he doesn't feel it. He, he so I think he's angry because, you know, it says that Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. God does not put this crap on us. God does not put us through this. This is not from him. I think Jesus is angry that in this life we have to suffer because we are not in heaven. And there is a Satan and there is a God, and Satan does cruel things to people like death and sickness. And we never saw ever Jesus put sickness on anybody, ever. We only ever saw him heal people, right? So I think Jesus is angry that this has to exist. But until we go to heaven, there is suffering in this world. So he's angry that, he, that people he loves have had to hurt. And he weeps because he's just like, I loved you too much to come when you wanted me to to, to, to circumvent and short-circuit this process that's going to build your faith, that's going to show the power of God. I loved you too much to do what you wanted me to do. I had to disappoint you. I had to let you hurt more in your pain. That's painful. He's like, I, it hurts me that I had to do it this way. You, we all understand as a parent, right? You have to do things that hurt your kid, and it hurts you to do it, but you know you have to do it because they have to go through that process. But it hurts as a parent. And he's way, his love is so much more perfect than our love to our children. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry, guys. The pneumonia still has a little bit of a, um, 
you know, he's saying, I am with you. My heart belongs to you. You are not in this pain alone. And it feels like it. You know, they felt like it, right? We feel like it so often. You know, here are all, so then the people who were standing nearby say, see how much he loved him. But, but some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have helped Lazarus from dying? So they're saying what everybody else is thinking. Yeah, he loved him. He didn't show up. He didn't heal him. What? We know he could have. Um, so John, by John 11, these are all the miracles that they have. This, well, not all of them. These are just some of them. I just listed some of them. Okay, by John 11, he had already healed a leopard, healed a paralyzed man, healed a withered hand, healed a man tormented by demons who cut himself in the graveyard, healed a woman with the issue of blood. He had healed two blind men, healed a mute man who was possessed by a demon, healed a man who had been crippled for 38 years. And that is just some of them. There's tons more. And to top it all off and to add insult to injury, he had healed a centurion who's a Gentile, who's not even a Jew. And back then, you guys all know the difference between the Gentiles and Jews. They were considered like Jesus only came for the Jews is what they thought. So, the, so here's like a person who's supposed to be beneath them somehow spiritually. I don't really understand it all. And Jesus, with a word, has healed his servant, just a servant, a Gentile servant with a word from a distance. So he could have even, he didn't, and they witnessed that. You can imagine at this table where they would always come back, you know, when there's a miracle, the excitement, there's electricity in the air. Can you imagine all the dinner parties where they sat around being like, oh, my gosh, that miracle was amazing. Can you believe that miracle happened? You know, they all talked about this Gentile servant that he said with the word, and the guy was on the deathbed, and he rose from the deathbed, and Jesus could have just said that word. I mean, this is such an affront, you know? So they're just like, yeah, like, look at this. I mean, like, I'm going to say it. There was some truth teller in there, right? He's like, I'm going to say what everybody's thinking. <clears throat> hey, Jesus, we saw you take better care of people who don't even know you, don't even like you, don't even love you. I, I, have we not felt that way? Hey, Jesus, I see that happening for other people. You know, like, look at the rawness of the emotion in this story. So then it says, Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. I just love that Jesus is emotional. I, lo- I feel like Jesus is emotional about our situations right now. All of our situations, all of our Lazaruses right now. He hurts for us and he's, he's pissed about it. I don't know if that's a Christian word. I think it is. Anyway, he's mad. You know, like, like this is not okay. Yeah, but he's also like, I'm going to have to give you the process. So you can get the victory. So you can get the miracle. So he comes to the cave and he says, roll the stone aside. Now I'm like, why does he tell them to roll the stone aside? He is about to resurrect somebody from the dead. So he could have just been like, twinkle, twinkle his nose and like the stone will be rolled away. Why is he asking them to roll the stone away? And I'm telling you, in every miracle, there's always a part we play. There's always, there's faith, there's, there's always there's always a combined, you know, every time Jesus healed somebody, he said, your faith is healed, your faith is healed. You. There's always, so he, there was something he asked of them, and he said, roll the stone away. And I, I, I felt like, this is what I felt like he was saying, take me back to the place where you lost hope. The moment they rolled that stone away, that's where they lost all hope. Take me back to the place where you said it was all over. Take me back to the place where all hope died. Take me back to the place where you stop being optimistic in our lives. Take me back to the place 
where you just learned to manage the pain and gave up on the miracle, take me back to that place. He's saying to us, take me to your Lazarus. And then there's another hard piece in this, because Martha says uh, that protest, and she says, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? And that's always what he says, if you believe. Every single miracle is dependent and contingent upon if we believe. We cannot give up our hope. We cannot give that up. So they rolled the stone aside. So here's the thing, and I speak from such experience. There's always some stink that you're going to have to face. There's always something you are going to have. There's something stinking about yourself, stinking about the situation, something dirty, nasty, something, you know, that, that stinks. And it's usually we feel some shame, some embarrassment, some something, um, something that we can barely face. Or maybe something that somebody did to us and we buried that thing so deep and we're just like, I'm not resurrecting that. I'm not going to feel that again. It took me years to try to forget. No way I'm going to bring that back up again because it stinks. So she's protesting about the stink of the situation, and that's always part of it. Um, and here's, here's the perfection of God's plan. Mylene, you may know this. <laughs> you know a lot about the Jewish culture, but the Jewish people believe that the – thank you. I don't know if water is going to help. The Jewish people believe that the uh, body – the soul does not truly leave the body for three days. Yeah. So Jesus had to make sure that Lazarus was dead, 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 dead. Like nobody could say, well, the soul is still somehow in the body. Jesus didn't really. I know that was true for my marriage. My marriage had to be dead, dead, dead. There was only Jesus could resurrect it. And that's happening again right all over again in this situation. Um, so where did I go on my notes? Um, anyway, so, so the thing has to be so completely, so he planned it to perfection. The perfection of knowing that somehow someone else could have taken the glory from God if it weren't that dead. And that has to be true in a lot of our situations before he can do the miracle so that he, so everyone knows, so it strengthens our faith. Okay. So I want to tell, I want to, I have, I did PowerPoint and it's Kimberly right here. You know how proud she be. She's been trying to get me to pass. I want to tell you guys, so I'm going to, going to do this real quick. I want to tell you guys about, um, do you guys know the um, Pioneer Woman? You guys know about, you guys know about Pioneer Woman? Yes. Okay, she does. She's a cook. Okay, so let me see if I can do this. So Pioneer Woman, she's awesome. So she is a, uh, she's a, let me see here if I can get this thing up. Oh, now my computer's not. Okay, so she is a chef. And now my computer's not coming up. Is it on? Oh, no, you don't need to. You can just, yeah, I'm just going to, I just have to get, now the whole computer has to get turned back on. I didn't realize it was off, so that was a mistake that I, 
Oh, well, you don't have to really, uh, it's just, it's big pictures. So I, I didn't realize I turned the computer off, so now I have to wait for the whole darn thing to boot back up. Sorry, guys. I, I'm a novice at this. Okay, so anyway, Pioneer Woman, she uh, was an L.A. girl. She meets this um, guy who owns a big ranch. He, it, it, it's huge. It stretches between Oklahoma and Kansas, tons and tons of acreage. And so she meets him, and they fall in love, and she leaves L.A. and moves out into the boonies of Oklahoma. And she, they are so in love. They're, they're, they're adorable. And um, so okay, let me show you some pictures of her. Okay. Uh, so that's her. That's her cookbook. She has tons of cookbooks that are um, – you will love them. And she, so she is Fortune 500. There are only two Fortune 500 have named her one of two women in the world that are the top bloggers. There's only two women. She's one of the top bloggers. She's adorable. Okay. She calls her husband the Marlboro Man. That's him. That's another one. That's another picture of her. Okay. So they have all these fields and they have these cattle ranches. And okay, so one night when I couldn't sleep, I swear God led me to this. It's like incredible. So. She is always interviewing him. He's a man of few words. She's like super, super chatty, and he's like a man of few words. And they're like, so she, they do these crazy controlled burns, and they burn thousands of acres of their fields. Well, I never even heard of this before, so I'm reading her blog. Okay, so these are just some of their beautiful fields, right? Well, what happens is if you, so when you burn off all these fields, you take these clumps like that, those clumps, if cows eat those clumps, it cuts their mouth. And if their mouths get cut, then they can't eat. Well, you have a 500-pound – I learned a lot about cows. You have like a 500 – believe me, this is all going to tie in, so just trust me. You have a 500-pound cow, and in three or four months, they have to put on 300 pounds. And all of that is done through this. So when they burn off all these fields, it, it, it stops these clumps, and then it stops all the briars. It also kills all the ticks, all the parasites, everything that would kill the cow. So, and it, so here is grass that has been burned, and that's grass that hasn't been burned from a field. So it's like that is like mostly filler. They're not getting any nutrition, right? So, but, okay, here's some pictures of these controlled burns. Look at this. These people are in the middle of these controlled burns, but it's all under control. They know what they're doing, right? So you've got these controlled, I mean, these fires just rage. And they rage all, they rage for days. These things burn for days. So look at that with the horses right there, right by the fire, but they're perfectly safe. Look how close it comes to the house. Look at this. Look how comfortable they are with these controlled birds. They're out playing baseball with fires raging. All right, but this is what a field looks like when it hasn't been burned. That's what a field looks like when it has been burned. Look at the difference. But to get to that, you know, you have to go through this, right? When I saw that, I'm like, that's our life. He's doing controlled burns in our life. You know, he is, that's what it feels like we're in the middle of, but he's killing the ticks, the parasites, the things that would kill us, the things that would keep us from being able to. But you know what? If we, 
You know what they do during these burns? She has whole cookbooks devoted to control burns because they throw massive parties. Apparently, it's like a it's like a fun country festivity or something because they throw these massive parties, and so she has controlled burn parties because they're safe. They know they're safe because somebody knows what they're doing. In the middle of these burns, you know, you've got, you've got, you know, your, 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 your horse is casually grazing, you know. You've got it right up to the edge of your house. Can you imagine what you would feel like if that fire was right by your house and you didn't know somebody was in control? But if you know somebody's in control and they know exactly what they're doing, then guess what? You throw a party because you're so comfortable. Or you go play a baseball game. And, you know, if you will allow the burn to do what it's meant to do, that's what you get. And that is what God is doing in our lives. I'm like, and you look, he waited exactly four days because he knew exactly what he was doing because it is a controlled burn. It is, he is doing, this is what he's trying to do. And I thought to myself, well, he certainly did that in my marriage. And I believe he's going to do it with all these other situations that are going on. I don't know how far he's going to let it go. I don't know if he's going to let things go so far that it's so, you know, he doesn't promise us that it's not going to hurt, but, but he knows exactly what he's doing. He is making it green and, and lush and profitable. You know, that's how, they're, that's how they make their living. That's how they have their profitability by having these, you know, burns. Um, you know, if Jesus is present in our situation, you know, we can be, you know, the whole story about Christianity is that death is never death. death. Death is never the end. The whole story is that death is never the end. You know, so, you know, and obviously I'm not, I'm talking too about our, what seems like it's over. Whatever our dream that seems like it's over or our relationship or, you know, whatever it is, our whole faith is built on resurrection. So, um, you know, and his plan is so much better. His plan is to be able to give us this. But we'll hold on to the clumpy field, right, because we're so scared of the burn. But he's just like, if you'll trust me, you could actually throw a party through all this because you would know my heart for you is love. And you wouldn't think that because I am not showing up, I don't love you, you would still be confident. If you understood my love language, you would be confident right now. You wouldn't have to be in fear and, and you know. But the problem is when we are in pain, just like Mary and Martha, we're all like me right now. I'm like, save me now. Like, I want to be saved now. I hate the control burns. You know, it's not, it's not a good time. Unfortunately, like them, and that, you know, they can, I mean, it's hard, right? And we want to be saved now because it's difficult now. We want to be removed from the difficulty. Um, but his plan will produce blessing that lasts a lifetime. You know, I think about my marriage the first time before it fell apart. We could have stumbled along for a lifetime. It never would have been great. It never would have been what it is now. He had a plan to burn the whole thing down and kill all the ticks and parasites in, our, in us that needed to be killed so that he could give us this. That's what, it, that's what, he, that's what his plan was all along. Um, I love this one. It says, Philippians 3, 10, and 11, be comforted in his image he will use what people did and did not do to show you what he can do. How good is that? You know, every, every unmet desire is an opportunity for, resur- for resurrection. You know, every single one. Because he has told us 
Delight yourself in me, and I will give you the desires and secret petitions of your heart. Um, he's also said, uh, that was uh, Psalm 34.7. He's also said, Psalm 84.11, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk, whose walk is blameless. What we do see about his promises is that they are conditional. Right? He says, delight yourself in me, and then I'll give you the desires. He said, I will withhold no good thing from the person who's righteous. And right, this doesn't mean we're perfect because we're never perfect, you know. It just means that we are pursuing God with everything we have, that, that he is the center of it all. He's not a slice of the pie. He's the whole pie. He's the whole thing. Everything is, do, is done through the filter of, of Jesus, you know. Our, our, our life revolves around his truth and his word. We're not going to ever get it right. He knows that. That's why he sent Jesus to die. He made a provision for our mistakes. But what he asks from us is authenticity of, of trusting him no matter what and pursuing him with all of our heart. You know, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. You know, that's what he wants from us, just like with our kids, right? We don't expect perfection. We want them to love us. We want them to do their best, right? That's what he wants from us. So um, here we go. We all know the ending, but... Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all those people standing here so they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted. I like that. I like all the emotion. Sometimes we think of Jesus as a drone. He's so emotional. And you know, how nice is it to have an emotional man? You know what I mean? Although, you know, sometimes we wish our men could be a little more emotional. Um, Oh, he's the perfect man though, right? Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a, de- in a head cloth. Jesus told him, unwrap him and let him go. And there is one more step in this. And um, the burial clothes have to come off. The burial clothes. So what if he had just resurrected him and then he walked around in the burial clothes, right? He said, take them off. The burial clothes, that's our hurt, our resentment, our unforgiveness, our, yeah. He's like, let it go. Let it go. You've got to take that off. You can't, I'm going to give you the miracle. You know, can I tell you, there was certainly, you know, and I keep referring to my marriage, but this, that, I've been through this process once with my marriage, now I'm going through it again with all these other things. So it's just so alive in me. But, you know, after there was resurrection, there had to be some real forgive. Dave and I had to completely forgive each other, just completely forgive each other. And, it, you know, that was a process. It's a lot of hurt. It wasn't an instant thing. I, I'm going to tell you guys a story that I've, that I've rarely told, but it's very personal. I guess now it's going to go out for everybody, but Dave had to really forgive me. And God had worked on me forgiving him years before, and I had fully forgiven him. But then he had to really forgive me. And that took, that was, a, that was, there was probably five years in between my forgiveness of him and then the time when he really had to forgive me. So our process is so long. But he had to make a choice. And he really wasn't sure if he was going to or not. There was really a point where he was like, I'm not really sure I'm going to forgive you. I'm not really sure if I'm going to stay in this marriage. I'm not really sure. And I was just like, you know, <laughs> Had he done that earlier when I didn't want him, I would have been like, yippee, you know. But now, 
this whole thing, my heart had so healed and I was so bonded to him, I was crushed. And I was, and again, you know, nobody ever believed in this marriage. So when you, and, and I'm telling you, people say to us all the time, are you guys newlyweds? I know we look old, we don't look old enough, but people get married second time like, because we're always holding hands and loving each other. And we just, you know, and I'm like, oh, no, this thing is a true <laughs> full-fledged miracle. But um, so, so, again, my, my friends who love me, the people who love me, they're just like, Steph, he's gone. This thing's over. He's, not, he's never coming back. And um, I was in the shower, and I was sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. And I'm like, I'm, you know, God, I think it's, like, probably over. And he worked 45 minutes away. And, you know, it had been this terrible, you know, thing. And I'm in the shower. And he never, I mean, to this day, he never comes home. I don't see him during the day. You know, I don't, you know, I mean, he, so he's never, ever come home during the day, ever. In all the years we've been married. And all of a sudden, I hear his voice, and I was shampooing my hair with my eyes closed. I hear his voice, and I'm like, that's in my head. Like, I'm hearing somebody's voice in my head. And I'm trying to get the thing out, and all of a sudden I look, and he's standing there. And then I'm like, is he here to kill me? Like, you know, like why is he here? Am I dead? Is this over? Am I? Jesus, take me down. I literally was just like, oh, my gosh, why is he here? I'm so freaked out. And I'm standing in the shower, and he said, um, this is a miracle. It was December 1st many years ago. So I, I remember the day every day. He said, I was in a meeting. He had people who had flown in to see him. He said, I was in a meeting. And all these people had flown in to see me. And he said, and God said to me, you're killing her. See, I had to trust God with him. I had to do what was right every day and trust God to deal with him. He said, literally, I was sitting in this meeting, and I heard God say, Dave's not a, I, I heard God kind of person, by the way. He's like, I heard God say, you're killing her. You're going to kill her. And he said, I tried to call you over and over again. I was afraid that you were dead. And it, God just put the fear of God in him. And he said, I came rushing home. He left his meeting. He left the people who wanted to see him. He goes, I came rushing home. He goes, he said, I forgive you. I will never, ever bring this up again. And I'm in the shower. And he, he's in his wingtips and his suit and his whatever. He literally got in the shower. <laughs> soaking wet in the middle of the day and got on his knees and said, please forgive me. Forgive me and I forgive you and forever. All the past has washed away. And Jesus has long forgiven us. But it took a long time for us to forgive each other. But he did it. And only the way God can do it. And, and when it all seemed lost, again, for about the 15th time of my marriage, you know, Again, it was resurrected. It was resurrected again and again. That's why I just am like, this thing, will, this death, this too will not end in death. But what I'm trying to say is we have to take off the burial clothes. Because even when it's resurrected, you know, there's a time to let go of the bitterness, the hurt, the, you know, and, and only God can do it. Only God, I'm like, God, you healed my heart this far just to have it crushed again? You know, like you took me all this way. I, I followed you. I did all the things you asked me to do. See, the thing is, God asked me to let go of a whole lot of things I loved along the way. I had to, I had to let things die. 
I had to let relationships die. I had to let, there were things that were not healthy in my life. There were things I shouldn't do. And he's like, Stephanie, you're going to have to let those things die. If you really want to follow me, you're going to have to let some things die, but I will resurrect it and give it back to you better. The death part is hard, but then the resurrection is so worth it. You know, what, you, what he gives back is so much better. So we want to take off our burial clothes, you know. He says, King David says, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And I love that scripture, and I've been claiming it a lot lately. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Jesus said, never, no, never will I forsake you. And we know that this sickness in our life, whatever our Lazarus is, it will not end in death. Although it might die, but it won't end in death. And that is our hope and our confidence. So I don't know. You guys have, I don't know what time restraints are. Do you guys want me to pray over you again today or do you do? Okay, then I'm going to end this. and I'm going to pray over everybody. Oh, I lost my phone. Oh, it's over here. I hope this thing recording worked while I was going. Okay, let's see. I, I, let, I was so far from my phone, it might not have worked, but we'll see if it works. Okay, let me pray over everybody. Uh, bye-bye, Spirit Rising. <laughs>